You are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. True Crime Twins is distributed by Glassbox Media and is part of the Crawlspace Media family. Welcome back to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast where we use our educational and occupational backgrounds in criminology and medicine to tell you crime stories. I'm Chloe, here with Melina, to bring you the second part of our series on the unsolved murder of 24-year-old real estate agent, Lindsay Buziak. We are again joined by her father and advocate, Jeff Buziak. In this second part, Jeff clarifies more details of his daughter's unsolved murder and shares his critical experience as a secondary victim of this horrific crime. For more context into this case, please tune in to part one of this series. Please visit the show notes for ways that you can help Jeff Buziak in his search for justice. Opinions expressed by guests on True Crime Twins do not necessarily reflect the views of production. All parties are assumed innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. There was a story online about a friend of Lindsay's named Nikki getting a phone call with someone that sounded like they were faking an accent and she eventually tracked down the person and it was Shirley. Is this a true story? That is a true story. What was her explanation for that? Shirley's explanation of that occurrence was one, I wasn't using an accent. Two, I was phoning Nikki, who was office manager at a head office of this real estate company, Remax who surely managed one of the satellite offices, still does, which she claims she doesn't manage. It's just insanity with her. She said she was phoning Nikki, the office manager, because a staff member didn't show up for work. So she was trying to get a replacement. And again, to me, that's a bullshit story because why would she phone head office? She would just take care of it. I asked her why Nikki, the office manager's name was Nikki, spelt different, different spelling of Nikki. I said, well, why would Nikki, Lindsay's friend Nikki be in your phone? Oh, I think Jason must've put it in my phone because he had my phone the day after the murder. The person that didn't show up the morning after the murder. So the timeline of Shirley making that excuse doesn't make sense because Jason was in jail still the day after when Rianne Grazia didn't show up for work. Why would Jason put Nikki's phone number in his mom's phone? And Nikki doesn't recall giving her number to Jason to put into Shirley's phone. It's so bizarre. Well, there's no one I've talked to that speaks highly of her. She has got me remarried. So obviously some guy likes her enough to marry her. Mm. Um, But 
no one else I've talked to, even people who are her so-called friends on Facebook, no one will speak highly about her. They don't like her. Um, so not just me. Did Lindsay like her? No, she was a nightmare. That was part of the reason Lindsay couldn't stand it anymore. That's why she left the home they had at Shawnigan Lake. I was uh, up at the lake where Jason and Lindsay had moved in together in a waterfront property that Shirley bought for $1,385,000 for them to move into and spend another couple hundred grand furnishing it and fixing it up. You know, who does that? Maybe Bill Gates does for his daughter. I don't know, but that's a bit extreme, I would say. Anyhow, I'm up there because we're going to have a barbecue. I'm, I'm there to see where they live and meet Jason. And uh, Shirley arrives, storms across the room, glaring at me, doesn't say hi. I, did, I don't know this woman. I know who she was from real estate, but I'd never met her. She glares at me, storms across, tells the people to leave or chases them away. One of Lindsay's girlfriends comes in the kitchen crying and hysterics that the woman's evil. She's done this to me before. She's nuts. She's evil. I can't stay, Father. And I'm a grabber and hugger. And it's like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Because I don't know what the hell's going on. Dude, that woman's evil. I can't do this. I'm leaving. Goodbye. And she goes running out of the house. I'm like, holy shit. Next moment, Shirley arrives. I'm washing some dishes in the sink. She walks up beside me, no, like, oh, hi, you must be Jeff, I'm Shirley. She walks up beside me and goes, get the fuck out of my way, I want to get a glass. I've got my hands in the sink, I turn around, I go, pardon me? Puts her hands on her hips. She starts swaying her hips and she goes, do you fucking know who I am? When I say get the fuck out of my way, I mean get the fuck out of my way. And she leans in and bears down on me. I brush off my hands. I turn around. And I, I go right nose to nose with her. And I go, wrong fucking guy, lady. Clean up your fucking act. Or that pretty little girl and I are leaving in about two fucking minutes. Do you understand that? She goes, okay. Please get the fuck out of my way. That's the real Shirley Zalo. That's her in a nutshell. That was my introduction. I still didn't hear her name. So she gets her glass, pours a little water. It was just, you know, she was going to stomp her alpha female mark on me disappears Lindsay comes out she's like dad i can't do this anymore i said go get your shit let's get out of here so then jason arrived oh what's going on and i go we're leaving your mom's a fucking nut job no don't go please don't go please don't go. i'll talk to her everything will be okay da, 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 da. so i was like Lindsay, go get your shit let's get the fuck out of here and Lindsay's like, Dad, it's okay. She's like that. She calms down. She's just like fucking crazy when she comes up here. She's like, I just can't fucking do this anymore. I said, well, get your shit. Let's go. No, no, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. So Jason comes back. Oh, doctor, everything's okay. She'll be calm. It's all cool. Just like, for fuck's sakes. There's the family right there. And it never ended. There were other occasions of the same type of behavior with her and I.
just to explain my background a bit, you know, I told you already, I grew up with someone like that because my mom died when I was two and a half. My dad remarried evil nutcase woman. I finally left home, so to speak, ran away from home when I was, I don't know, 13 or 14 or something. I just couldn't do it anymore. So I'm quite familiar with them and that type of person. Believe it or not, you probably don't know, but I have a university degree in psychology. So, you know, it's, I'm not speaking from a base of sort of just street talk. Going back to before the murder, she wasn't able to reach the person that this female caller said referred her at the time because she was on holiday. Were you able to reach her after the fact to determine if she had had a conversation with someone that matched that description with that accent? Was I able to talk to the person that referred them? Yeah, no. Please tell everybody not to talk to me. That was that was not the truth. They they didn't refer anyone to Lindsay. Do you think maybe this perpetrator got that information from closing documents, maybe? Well, it's pretty easy to figure out. Look at it a different way rather than speculate where might have they got that. Who had access to that type of information? I got my real estate license in 1980, and I've been licensed since. So you can do the math there. It's 40 plus years. I know how real estate works. I know who has access to those documents. One, it's the manager of the real estate office. Oh, gee, who's that? Charlie. Two, it would be anybody involved with Lindsay as far as helping her with the deal or working on it with her. Gee, who would that be? Oh, Jason, because he does the financing. And oh, Shirley, because she's the manager and Lindsay would go to her for her advice. So those are certainly prime candidates that would have access to that kind of information. In this particular case, it could be administrative staff at the real estate office who are shuffling the documents. They see them. So... It could be somebody like that. Do you know if law enforcement has looked into their cell phone records, their banking records from around that time? And when I say them, I mean Shirley and Jason. I don't know if they have or not. I hope they have. But my experience with them over these 14 years is you can't assume anything with them. They're not that bright. I had a recent situation that just totally confirmed and just bummed me out completely was um, they wanted to re-interview me. And so there's been talk for months now that they're going to, you know, arrange to re-interview me. And so I made it clear that I didn't want anybody from Saanich police interviewing me because I'm done with them. And so an RCMP was going to interview me and be accompanied by another RCMP. I told them numerous, numerous, numerous times that I would fly to them out on the coast to save the taxpayers the money of having to pay for, you know, flights and overnight and rental vehicles and all that stuff. 
And uh, I said, I'll just come out there. It's no big deal for me. I'll fly out. I got a place to stay, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can do me right there, your own facilities. No, 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 we're coming out there. So they arrive and we meet at an RCMP headquarters. It took them 20 minutes to figure out how they get me into the building, which frustrates a guy like me because they should have that figured out. They came the night before. You think they'd have that figured out? How are we going to get them into the building? They couldn't quite figure that out till I finally text and go, get your shit together. I'm leaving. And they started got that figured out. And then when I met with the guy, um, within probably 20 to 30 seconds, I sensed in him, who's supposed to be the tricky guy, who's supposed to know how to handle people and criminals and do all that kind of stuff. I knew something was up. So I said, what's going on? And he goes, well, this RCMP fellow is going to interview you in the interview room. I'm going to be in another room where we'll have video and uh, audio. And so I'll be manning those machines. Are you okay with that? And I went, yeah, oh, yeah. I said, who else is going to be in the room with you? Because I knew something was up. And he goes, well, there'll be another detective in there. I go, where's he from? Sandwich police. So, you know. I could go on and on about that because I'm just totally disgusted after it was very clear. He was like, well, I was going to tell you. It's like you're dealing with 13 year olds, but it just blows my mind that I can figure them out in 20 seconds, what the hell they're doing. And it tells you why the murder isn't solved in 14 years. Because, you know, I'm not a street guy. I'm not a guy who commits murder. So obviously you're going to be a little cautious and careful. If they can't fool and manipulate me, how the hell are they going to fool and manipulate some criminals that aren't in jail? Obviously the dumb ones are in jail. So that's how I look at it from a really, everything for me, I break down to simplicity and I deal with it in psychological terms. So I'm just thinking we're hopeless. Like how the fuck are they going to solve a murder and catch criminals when they can't do something straight that they agree upon? And I can sense in less than 20 seconds. Well, I figured it out in less than 20 seconds. I sensed it within probably five seconds. It just pisses me off. I did read that the FBI has gotten involved. Was that because of some sort of development? Do you know? Yeah, and it's mostly bullshit. And I call it the way it is. Number one, if you think about it, the FBI is the Federal Bureau of Investigation of the United States of America. This is Canada. They have no jurisdiction up here at all. For people who live in the United States, you do not rule Canada. We have separate government. We are a separate country. We have the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And our secret spy agency is called CSIS which who the fuck knows what they do. Probably about as much as Saanich Police does. So Saanich Police take it upon themselves to try and create a beautiful public image of what great police officers they are and what a great agency they are. I have nothing against them individually. They're probably nice people, but I just have no patience for their actions and their work because they're fucking useless. And I dare them to sue me for saying that. So what they do 
is every year when I go to show up in Victoria to do my annual walk for justice for Lindsay, they come out with some bullshit PR stupid statement by some new rookie cop that's assigned to PR duty that knows nothing about Lindsay's murder purposely so they don't let anything slip. I think after 14 years of me continually berating them and publicly saying the things negative about them that people are finally seeing it themselves. And it's such a relief for me because I feel like this ogre who's just this negative guy because it's the truth. And people are seeing that now and they're going, hey, (laughs) this guy isn't full of shit. They are useless. So that's a huge relief for me. It only took 14 years. Maybe I'm not convincing enough. Although lots do believe me. What they do is they'll make statements about, you know, we've recommitted to this murder and we're very serious about it. Well, that statement alone, if you analyze it from a psychological point of view, if they've recommitted, they weren't fucking committed. So right there, they're looking stupid. They say hollow statements that mean nothing. I have a fabulous group of supporters. Come and go, some are consistent, some very close to me stay all the time. Others do certain things and then maybe stay for a while and then go on with their lives. And I appreciate it very much, all the help I get. And mainly I motivate people or I challenge them because I get calls weekly from people I consider armchair quarterbacks. So they'll call me up and say, Jeff, okay, I've been watching this and following it very closely. You need to be doing this. You should do this. You should call Dr. Phil. You should call so-and-so. You need to call this psychic. You need to do this. You need to do that. I get that constantly. And I always say to these people, I go, no, you need to do it. That's a great idea. I think it's fabulous. I'm appointing you in charge of that project. So it's your project now to get me on Dr. Phil. And so I challenged a young woman to do that. She got me on Dr. Phil. So there were two people that were hounding down an ex-FBI guy who had a TV show. Just can't think of his name right at this instant. They were probably two years trying to get him interested in Lindsay's murder. So finally he says, okay, I'm interested, but I'm gonna have to talk to the father. So it's great, you know, they accomplished their goal, right? So I get in touch with him and he's like, okay, I'm interested. You know, my show has been canceled and we're trying to get up enough stuff to maybe get another show. And, you know, we're interested in getting involved with your daughter's murder. So great. He said, but, you know, I have to talk to police have to get their cooperation, which, of course, they won't do. So I said, great, I'll put you in touch with them. I did. I was included in the first, I think, two emails where he said, okay, here's my deal. I'm retired. I work with a group of people. We're interested in working on unsolved cases. We'll give a bunch of effort if you will open up the file to us. And uh, if you're not willing to do that, I could also put you in touch with other active members of the FBI who may be able to guide you a bit. They said, okay, we're interested in talking to you, but Jeff's out. No more communication with him. So the guy agreed. 
get the murder solved. That's my goal. I don't need to control everything because obviously I don't have patience for the shenanigans. Now, this possibly making a TV show or getting a little bit of advice from former members of the FBI who are trying to do a TV show, and maybe they can get a little advice from current members of the FBI. Saanich police now turn that around to say, we're working with the FBI. That's how they work. That's their trick. They're better con men than the con men are because the public, we all grow up thinking we need to respect the police, unless you grow up in a criminal family, of course. But we all think, oh, you know, the police are like the authority and we have to respect them. And nowadays you got to be afraid. I call them frenemies now. You know, when I was really young, they were trying to portray an image where we're your friends, we're your protectors. And we're the people you need to come to if you're in trouble or, you know, you feel threatened. Well, nowadays they threaten us and we're afraid of them because they're not friendly to us for the most part. They give us tickets. So I call them frenemies now because they're not our friends. You know, you don't go to them for protection now. In Saanich especially, certainly my experience over the 14 years, people are afraid of them. They're more afraid of Saanich police than they are of the criminals that they know. And Saanich police come to me and say, it's your fault that people think that of us. I go, no, no, you got yourself here, pal. And now a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. Yeah, that's where we're at. They do their PR campaign. You know, this year they've been somehow they, I don't know where the hell they got themselves nominated or voted to be one of the best places to work for in Canada. And they got the best, sexiest looking patrol cars. They should have a Kardashian show. Who's got the biggest lips and false breasts and, you know, whatever the hell else goes on in that world. That's Saanich police. Look at us. We're pretty and everybody loves us. Oh, what about that murder? Don't talk to us about that or we'll destroy you. That's where we're at with those uh, nincompoops. Do you know if they've done anything with travel records, like with the ferry? Because apparently the burner phone was known to have traveled on the ferry from Vancouver Island to Victoria. Yeah, Saanich police won't basically tell you anything because that's their culture and that's how they deal with things. And I just had that argument with them recently because they asked me, what do you think we could do to get the trust back from the public? I said, well, two things. One, arrest somebody like right now. And two, you have to release more information. Well, they go off on a tirade about, we can't release information and nothing should be out there and there's too much publicly. And, you know, we're, our training is we keep everything closed. We don't tell anybody anything. And so finally listen to their bullshit. I look down and I go, and how's that fucking working for you? We're 14 years now and you've got nothing. So how's that fucking working for you? You tell me, you're asking me what you could do to get the trust back. And then when I tell you, you go off on a tirade about this is how we work and this is the way it has to be. How's that fucking working for you? The people don't like you, they don't trust you, and you don't have a fucking murder solved. 
maybe you need to start thinking differently. Maybe your system you're so staunchly defending isn't working so good, is it? From what I can see generally in policing, because I do watch other shows and things going on, is we've allowed police to evolve because we haven't really, really held them accountable. So certainly not in Canada. I know in the U.S., like sheriffs are elected. So you have some other things there that help. In Canada, no, it's union and they're not accountable to anybody. I found that out because I kept trying to go up the food chain and I reach politicians that don't have the balls to do anything about it, even though legislatively they're assigned the authority to do something, they won't. So the plea, when you always end up back at the police chief they just sit there and smirk at you like fuck you or they ignore you the last one totally ignored me so you know we got a situation that's not good and police have tried to you know blame me for uh making it more difficult for them of course, I throw it back in their faces and just say, you know, if you'd have done your job and arrested somebody, there'd be no difficulty here from anybody. Unfortunately, you have somebody trying to hold you accountable and you don't like that. So you're making up excuses and blaming. And that doesn't work with me. You're reacting to them. That doesn't make it your fault. That's right. But, you know, it's typical reaction. At this point, have they even told you if any forensic evidence was found, like blatant prints or, or blood, perhaps they might have hurt themselves in the process. Publicly, they say they don't have any forensic evidence. But then I know they've told me that they've rechecked it a few times. And they're dealing with some new forensic methods. So obviously, they have forensic evidence. But publicly, they don't have any. So that's how bad it is with police culture right now. It's that bad that they can't even get their stories straight. As far as you know, did they collect any DNA from anyone like the Zalo family for a comparison? Jason refused to provide DNA. They interview me. You've got a distraught father out of his mind sobbing. And they're getting me into an interview room where, you know, they've got audio and video and they're sitting in another room. And what stands out to me is how awkward they were getting me a glass of water. And as soon as I drank it, they hustle in from the other room and scoop the glass away. It's just, I'm sitting there, you know, sobbing in tears almost. I'm just thinking, who are these fucking people? They were so obvious. It's like, I don't know, Keystone Cops or, you know, some TV comedy detective thing or something. So obviously they got my DNA and they're so happy because I'm a suspect. Do you know if Jason or anyone in his family could have had anything to gain financially or otherwise from her being dead? Well, yes. The real estate board and real estate council, you automatically have life insurance through them. All your credit cards will have life insurance on them. And nobody wants to tell me where that went. My ex-wife's not the most friendliest woman in the world. So she won't tell me. Shirley Zalo won't tell me. And the police won't tell me. I asked my daughter. She didn't get any money. So where did that go? 
where did the money from the deals go? There was probably somewhere between thirty to fifty thousand dollars in commissions off Lindsay's real estate deals. There was also, I would say, seventy percent to seventy-five percent accurate that there was a million-dollar life insurance policy on Lindsay. Where did that go? If that's real, nobody will tell me whether there was or there wasn't. So when you really look at the situation, because they were living common law, that wouldn't have to be disclosed to us, to neither myself or my Lindsay's mom, because in effect, Jason and Lindsay were common law. She could have made anyone the beneficiary. Correct. They could have put a life insurance policy on her. Is that why police cleared the Zalos early on? Because life insurance companies do not pay out if you're a suspect. So why did Saanich police publicly, we've publicly cleared the Zalos, they are not a suspect. Was that so they could collect life insurance? Think about that one. Do they have connections? You'll learn the more you dig into Lindsay's murder and learn about Victoria. You have to take extremely seriously what I say is Victoria is one degree of separation. One. To the point where I got a call one night from a fellow that I kind of know who said he was someplace where Shirley Zayla was hitting on him. You know, there's how tight Victoria can be. Here's a guy that I kind of know phones me 20 minutes after something's happening to inform me. And I live 600 miles away. Everybody knows everybody there and everybody's watching everybody. With a community like that, it's feasible that they knew someone in that department. Yeah, it's very feasible. Well, there's a Saanich police officer who was my first so-called handler, who's friends with Shirley Zalo on Facebook and comments on how pretty she looks after her cosmetic surgery. So the day before Lindsay's murder, seven senior officers of Saanich Police retired all at the same time, which is usually unheard of in a small agency like that and in a government-type operation. Usually they pace out retirements so that departments don't get interrupted, you know, because you get a whole bunch all at once. It interrupts the workflow. And, of course, when I pointed that out publicly, Saanich Police House, oh, we prepared for that for a long time, and there were replacements. Well, so they're all out partying Friday night for a retirement party. And Lindsay gets murdered Saturday. I know how Saanich police works. All senior officers work Monday to Thursday. Saturday, there's a murder. So the replacement senior guys are on days off. So you got chaos on Saturday. You probably got a bunch of hungover officers because they're out partying. And you've got senior guys that aren't on duty who probably could be away or like, you know, whatever. And they didn't call any of them back. I talked to two of them and said, you know, why didn't you go back? They didn't call us. So you'd think you'd call your most senior guys back and say, hey, get back here. 
we got a major murder going on here. And then subsequent to that story, Shirley Zalo is dating for a period of time one of those seven senior officers that retired from Saanich Police. Bizarre, isn't it? And there's so many things here that you could learn. At the time of Lindsay's murder, Shirley Zalo was in relationship with a fellow by the name of Paul Bergshoff, who since fled the country back to the Netherlands and remarried, left his ex-wife and children here in Vancouver Island. He took off. He was best buddies with the murder home owner. Did Lindsay come about that listing through Shirley's connection? It was listed with Remax, the company she worked for. And Lindsay told me more than once, Daddy, I can't find them anything else to show. The only thing that fits their requirement is this house. So the woman who called her described a house in such detail that there was only one in all of Victoria that fit it. And gee, it's funny, that turned out to be friends of this and that and all these connections. And not too long after the murder, a fellow that I believe 100% told me that he was speaking to Joe D'Souza and asked him about Lindsay's murder. And Joe D'Souza said, that little bitch got what she deserved. And why on earth would he have any reason? Did he even know her? Why would he say anything like that? Exactly. Why would he say anything like that? And he's Portuguese and the phone was Portuguese, Brazilian name. And he was best friends with Shirley Zalo's live-in lover at the time. Based on Cohen and Jason saw, these perpetrators likely escaped through that patio door. Is that right? Correct. So is it thought that they jumped the fence? No. The murderers, or supposedly, they exited through the back of the patio. There were three boards missing out of the fence in that area. So when Jason and Cohen decided they would look for a place to get in the house, Cohen looked over the fence and saw the door open, but the three boards were missing directly across from where he was looking. When he looked over the fence, he would have seen the hole in the fence with three boards missing before he would have noticed the door open here. He hollered at Jason. This is their story, which I don't believe. He hollered at Jason. Jason came by, boosted him over the fence, ran through the house, opened the front door. As he's unlocking and moving the front door, Jason pushes him and the door out of the way and starts, Lindsay, Lindsay, runs right upstairs to the master bedroom where Lindsay was. This is a big house. To me, that doesn't make sense. One, the, he didn't see the three boards missing. Two, Jason runs straight up the stairs to where Lindsay is. Like he knew she's there. I got to go up there. That's where she is. And my opinion, he needed to get there before Cohen because he grabbed her. Remember, you've heard the story. Well, you know, I tried to give her CPR and I touched her and, you know, I think she was dead. Now he's polluted the crime scene. 
So at that particular time, they couldn't distinctly differentiate DNA between close family members. So mom, sons, he grabs her, polluted it. Joe D'Souza builds a good house and he's fussy. So everything's clean, tidy. The day before murder, he had his wife thoroughly clean the house. So it's a brand new house, never been lived in, but it was on the market for a year or more. When I asked him why three boards missing in the fence, you would think he'd say, because the killers kicked them out. But he said, well, I was having touch-ups done on the house and the painters were storing their tools and paint and materials on the patio. I said, well, what the fuck would they be doing there? Why didn't you just have them in the garage? Oh, I didn't want them making a mess in the garage. So I had them outside. Well, I know painters because I've been in real estate for 42 years. One, they don't leave their tools. Two, it's February, freezing or just above freezing. It's rainy. You're not doing fucking touch-ups on the exterior of a house when it's rainy out. That's a rainforest in British Columbia. It's dark, dreary, rainy, dismal during the winter months. So you're not painting when everything's wet and doesn't have time to dry out. So to me, that's bullshit. Painters who are going around the houses doing touch-ups don't leave their ladders and stuff because they get stolen. They've always got them bolted on their van or their Volvo station wagon because they're going around doing touch-ups. They need their ladders. They're not sitting on a fucking patio outside in the rain. They don't leave paintbrushes there. You don't leave paint outside when the temperature is bouncing just above zero. And you're not doing touch-ups on the exterior of a house when it's rainy and miserable in a rainforest in February. The other thing was the boards were laying as if they had been kicked from the outside in, not the inside out. Joe D'Souza, remember, is a very fussy builder. Everything's neat and tidy and clean. So I know a bit about woodwork because I do some. And of course, I've been in real estate for 42 years and been involved in lots of construction. Fussy guys will carefully take boards out, pound back the nails and pull them out. Take the boards and put them on the side so that people aren't walking over them. Certainly don't leave nails in them sticking up so that you walk on them and get a nail in your foot. Those boards were laying there right in front of the hole. If the painters were keeping stuff there, as Joe says, they'd have been walking over boards with nails sticking out. No doesn't work like that so that's all bullshit to me too but our beautiful keystone cops out there from Saanich they can't figure that shit out that's way too complicated for their brains and the police went to great length to tell people that we had our dogs there and they lost track of the suspects at the sidewalk I'm like okay what kind of dogs you got? Well, we have German Shepherd. I thought bloodhounds are tracking dogs. Well, yeah, they do that too. Well, what's their real job? Chase suspects and apprehend them. So you didn't use tracking dogs. Well, you know, they know how to track. 
but they're not dragging dogs. I think the benchmark for shows has been Dateline because at that time, Sandwich Police did cooperate with Dateline. They had access to certain parts of the file and they had some very highly trained experts that gave their opinion. It's somebody Lindsay knew, very close to Lindsay, possibly working in the same office as her, but very close to her. I wish we knew why. I think we all do know why, but most people are afraid to say it. They want somebody else to say it. Because police are trying to distract everybody with cartel, drug bust, largest drug bust in Alberta and the cartel, blah, blah, blah. For one, cartels don't fuck around corporate transfer and we're renting a car and can we meet you at the house and oh you know my wife's sick she might not be able to cartels walk in they cut your fucking head off and they hang you from a bridge and they want everybody to know the cartel killed these people thank you for listening to another episode of true crime twins you can follow us on social media on twitter and tiktok at True Crime Twins, and on Instagram at True Crime Twins Podcast. You can also email us at truecrimetwinspodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy our show, please leave us a five-star rating and positive review.